might open your Bibles up to the book of Philippians and place a marker there. Not all that long ago, Dave and I were having a conversation about sermons and preparing sermons and different kinds of sermons, and he was talking about expository sermons, or as he puts it, stay put sermons, where you just kind of go to a particular passage and more or less elaborate throughout the lesson based on that one particular text. And we're not going to, I guess, do that in the strictest sense this evening, but we're going to more or less be focused or grounded in the book of Philippians. And so if you want to have a marker in that book, uh, specifically chapter 3, I think that would be helpful to you as we make our way through the lesson tonight. title of the lesson is simply Focus. And as you think about the things that Paul writes to those in Philippi in his epistle here, a lot of what he talks about is where our focus needs to be, especially in chapter 3 as he goes through and talks about his own life, things that he had done, that he'd left behind, and then now he is pressing on towards something greater, something better. He encourages us to likewise adopt the correct focus in life. And so we're going to think about some of the things that he highlights for us to know as we make our way through the lesson. The first thing that he encourages us to focus on is Christ. And this, of course, is not the only place we could go to make the point that Christ must be indeed our focus in life. Uh, But certainly this is one very good place that we could go to make that point. I'd like us to read, starting out here in chapter 3 and verse 7, the first part of chapter 3, you recall how Paul had been kind of going through and talking about his own his own history as a Jew of the Jews. He talks about his bringing up and the things that he had done prior to being converted to Christ. He talks about his zeal. He talks about being a Pharisee in regards to the law, all these kinds of things. And as we consider the life that Paul had prior to his conversion, We would say he was a pretty successful man. He was well-renowned. He was educated. He, by all estimations, seemed to have been pretty well off, did well for himself that way. And so all the things that people typically would seek after here on this earth, he pretty much had all of those things. But yet we're going to see his attitude towards all of that as we pick up here in verse 7. He says, What things were gained to me, These I have counted loss for something else, for something better. And what is that? He says, for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And he says, I count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, he says, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings 
being conformed to his death. If by any means, he says, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So we see here Paul makes very plain that his primary objective in life is to know Jesus Christ, to have a true relationship with him. Even in the sense of sharing in his sufferings, even in the sense of being conformed truly to his death, as he highlights there. The whole goal being that in the end, he wants to attain to that eternal life, that resurrection from the dead. There are several different aspects that we might think about in regards to focusing on Christ. We know that Christ, of course, is our purpose. And if you come with me back here just a page or so to the first chapter of the book of Philippians, and we notice a a few verses here together, starting in verse 21, we see that Paul, likewise, here in this place, makes abundantly plain that his purpose in life is Christ. Notice in verse 21, he says, For to me, to live is Christ. You know, people sometimes ask the question, well, what are you living for? You know, what is your purpose in life? Well, Paul answered that question by saying, simply, it is Christ. That's that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm doing. That's my focus and everything. And he says, as a result of that, he says, to, to die is gain. He knew that living for Christ, focusing on Christ, making Christ his purpose would allow him to attain something much better if he were to leave this earth. He goes on there in verse 22. He says, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So, I don't know about you, but there's been points in my life where uh, things are not necessarily going the way that that I'd hoped um, in the midst of difficulty, and you ever just have that thought like, Lord, can I just go home now? Can, Can we just go home now? Can this be the end? Not that we're thinking in the sense of being suicidal or something of that nature, but just in the in the sense of longing to be further clothed. Remember the language that Paul uses there in Second Corinthians chapter five. It's not that we want to be found naked, but we want to be further clothed with that that spiritual body that has been promised to us. We want to go home and and be with our Lord, be free of all the pain and suffering and difficulty of this life. But yet Paul expresses here that. Even if I do live on, I know that I'm going to continue to strive to be fruitful in the vineyard. I'm going to seek your benefit, to kind of paraphrase what we read there. And so regardless of whether he lived or died, Christ was his purpose and must be ours as well. We can think about Christ as our focus in the sense of him being our pattern in all things. We have to focus on him so that we know how to properly conduct ourselves in all situations. We could come over here to chapter 2 of the book of Philippians and see that illustrated for us as we start there in verse 3 of the text. There Paul says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. 
Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Notice he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance uh, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so we see here how as Paul is talking about the need to think about others, to love others, to even seek others' interests before our own, he says we do this because of the pattern that Jesus gave us. This is what Jesus did. He came, uh, this very son of God, but yet he humbled himself and he became a servant to us all, ultimately in the sense of giving his very life on the cross so that we might live through his perfect blood. And so Christ is indeed our pattern in all things. If we want to know how to treat each other, if we want to know how to honor God, if we want to know how to pray, if we want to know how to study, any of these things, we can go and we can see how did Christ do that? What was his example? And he has shown us perfectly how to behave. Christ is the prize. He is our purpose, he is our focus, because we want to be like him. We want to be with him in the end. He is what we are excited to receive, in a sense, as we think about making heaven our home, being able to to see him face to face, being able to sit with him, to embrace him, to spend time with him. And of course, it'll be in an existence where time is really a forgotten concept because we will be in eternity. And what a wonderful thing that is to think about. In 1 John chapter 3, the first three verses here, we are impressed by John uh, with just what we have been given by God. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. What an amazing privilege. He says, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. We will see him as he is. He says that everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. There's countless passages we might go to as we think about what he's describing here. We could think about Matthew chapter 17, where Jesus goes up on the mountain Uh, with certain of his disciples, you recall there, and he is transfigured before them. He is uh, seen in his spiritual form. And you go to Revelation chapter 1, and you can read about how, as John beheld him in that state, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his garments were as white as the snow, and the hair on his head likewise, and these kinds of descriptions. We can't really truly uh, grasp what that spiritual body will be like, but we know that it is incorruptible. We know that it is spiritual. As we think about the end of 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul is there talking about these same things, and he's describing how that in the end, at that last trumpet, this mortal body is going to put on immortality. And we are going to be swallowed up in victory if we have been faithful. And what a prize that truly is to think about and to focus on as we go from day to day. 
Christ is the power. You know, we know that it is indeed a struggle at times, like we had already talked about, just kind of in passing there. It is difficult. The way is difficult. The way is straight. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Wide is the gate and easy is the way that leads to destruction. But if we want to follow after Christ, oftentimes we go through treacherous terrain. We go through paths that are hard to traverse. But Christ gives us the power to endure every difficulty that comes our way, every temptation that is brought before us. We can resist those things and overcome those things through our Savior. Here again in the same book, Philippians chapter 4, notice with me in verse, let me just start in verse 10 there. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state that I am to be content. He says, I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And how can he do that? How is he able to deal with a great difficulty and also deal appropriately with great blessing? Well, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so Christ gives us the power to overcome and to deal with virtually any scenario that might come before us as we make our way through this life. So we must truly focus on him. Hebrews chapter 12 is another good passage that stresses this important point. Verse 1 there, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we, uh, in a sense, are like uh, our brother described earlier in the week, uh, this past week. He talked about all those heroes of faith in chapter 11 and how they are, uh, in a sense, cheering us on. We see their example, and if they uh, could see us, if they could speak to us, we can only imagine the encouragement they would be giving us to persevere and to keep pressing on. And since we have so many wonderful examples of true faith, he says, let us lay aside every weight. As you think about running a race, you don't want anything that's going to weigh you down, make you heavier, because then it's going to be harder to run, right? So we need to lay aside every weight. And he says, the sin which so easily ensnares us. What do you think that might be? You ever stop and think about that? The sin that so easily ensnares us. Well, in the context of everything he's been talking about, I think the, the best answer there is simply a lack of faith. Sometimes we just simply have a lack of faith. And that is indeed a, a snare that will hold us back and really prevent us from running at all. And so he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And notice verse 2, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest, Notice the warning, you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Do we want to avoid getting tired, getting worn out? Do we want to avoid being discouraged to the point where we want to just give up and throw in the towel? We're told here how to accomplish that, right? Stay focused on Christ. Look again to his example. Think about what he had to endure. Think about what he had to experience for us. He says if we will do that, 
we will retain that motivation that we so desperately need to keep pushing forward. We also see in this text that Paul stresses the need to focus on eternity, and in some senses we kind of touched on that as we thought about focusing on Christ, especially as the prize, we're trying to be with him in eternity. We want to be like him, we want to experience that spiritual immortal body. We need to focus on eternity. Focus on the goal, recognizing, kind of like we talked about a couple weeks ago, that this life is not what it's all about. Now, this life is very important because it's what we do in this life that determines where we're going to spend eternity, but eternity really is the whole goal of it all. That's that's why Jesus died. That's why God had the plan of salvation in mind even before he began his creative process because he wants us to be with him in eternity. And that's why Jesus died so that we could have that opportunity to realize that, to be with him always. Let's come back here to chapter 3 and notice some things that Paul writes. We had stopped there in verse 11, Paul stressing the importance of doing anything so that he might attain to the resurrection from the dead. And he goes on in verse 12, he says, Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but he says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. You notice that, just kind of highlighting what we just mentioned there. Why has Jesus done what he did? Well, it's because he wants us to attain that eternal life to avoid the penalties of sin. And so he says, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, and I reach forward. Some translations render that word reaching as straining. And you think about somebody who maybe is in a, a desperate situation, you think about maybe you're in a the midst of a burning house, right? And And you're crawling to get to safety and and you can see the light there of the outside, and, and, and what would you be doing if you were in that situation? You'd be, you'd be straining, right? You'd be just using all of your energy to try and get out of that terrible situation that is threatening your life. You'd be just using all of your effort. And that's kind of the idea that Paul's expressing here. He says, I'm, I'm reaching forward, I'm straining forward to those things which are ahead, I'm pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As we jump down a few verses there, look at verse 20, he says, Our citizenship is not here on this earth, it is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. There again is that concept we were talking about just a few moments ago. He's going to transform this lowly body that may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. As we think about what Paul expresses here and the idea of focusing on eternity, focusing on what lies ahead, we see that he talks about the need, first of all, for humility as we think about that. Recognizing, as he says here, I'm not already perfected. I've not already attained, I'm not so righteous and holy that I'm already, uh, you know, kind of have it in the bag. He, he recognized he still had to continue to put forth the effort and to stay humble 
recognizing his need for God, because without God, none of us are going to make uh, make it across the finish line. Over here in James chapter 4, verse 7, notice, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. It might seem like a strange thing that he says there, talking about, almost sounds like he's saying, well, don't ever have any fun. You know, Don't ever smile or, or laugh or anything like this. It's not really the point that he's making. He's just simply saying, be sober. And don't get so caught up in the joys, so-called, of this life that you are neglecting to remember what really is at stake here. So enamored by the things of this world that you are neglecting to remember that the devil is after your soul, that he is indeed walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, and it's often... Ironically, the times that we are sorrowful, the times that we have perhaps experienced something very difficult, that we we draw the closest to our Lord, don't we? And we kind of think at our soberest level when we kind of are brought low, if you will. But we need to be humble. We need to recognize that we have not already attained or been already perfected, but we are striving for that. And it's only through humility that we can continue to advance in the way that God would have us to. As we think about focusing on eternity, we we see here Paul talks about the need to forget. He says, I forget those things that are behind and I'm straining towards those things that are ahead. Now, what is he saying there? Is he saying that we just need to completely forget everything that's ever happened in the past? You know, when we make a, a mistake or when we sin, we just act like it never happened. Well, I don't think that's what he's saying at all. In fact, if you read through the writings of Paul, you'll find that he often brought to mind the things that he had formerly done as a blasphemer, things that he'd done as an adversary of God. But sometimes, you know, we we can keep those things in our minds to the point where they defeat us, and to the point where we get so down on ourselves and so sorrowful about all the things that we've done wrong, and we just start maybe thinking, well, what good can I really do? You know, what, what, what can I really ever accomplish for God? Or we, maybe we get to thinking, you know, can I really even ever get to heaven as, as sinful as I have been and as many terrible things as I have done? Well, we need to forget in the sense of not dwelling on those things to that point. We need to learn from our past. But we can't dwell on the past. You know, I've made the analogy before. It's been some time ago. We were thinking about, you know, you drive in a car down the road. If you spend all your time focusing on the rearview mirror, what's going to happen? You know, there's a reason that the rearview mirror is so small and the windshield is so large because we need to keep our focus on what lies ahead. We need to refer to things that are behind us. We need to look back at times and remember lessons that we've learned or or things of that nature, but we can't focus all of our energy there. We have to remain focused on what lies ahead, as Paul is saying here. You know, God has said that he will forget our trespasses when he forgives us. When we repent and turn from those things, he said, I'm not going to remember those things anymore. 
So if God's not going to remember them, then then why should we? You know, it's not again to say that we don't learn the lesson. We don't refer back to that so that we keep ourselves humble. It's just that we have to move on. We have to to press on. Hebrews eight twelve. I will be merciful. God says to their unrighteousness, their sins, their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. We need to start focusing on the new man that we have put on in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, it says there that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We need to leave the old man in the past and press on striving to be that new creation in Christ. That's what will allow us to make heaven our home. As we focus on eternity, we see the need for determination, don't we? And that's kind of a lot of what we've been talking about in these other points, but we need to be determined. That's, again, one of the reasons we focus on Christ, because he gives us the ability to stay motivated and determined, even in the face of very trying circumstances. In another place, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, here he says, Do you not know that those who will run in a race, they all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain that prize. He says, Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus. He says, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. You picture someone who's a boxer and they're just, you know, they go out there into the match and they're just wailing their arms all around and just, you know, attacking the air seemingly. Well, they're not going to have much success against somebody who's disciplined and focused on what's going on and, you know, can look for those opportunities to land a punch. We can't just go at this all willy-nilly, as as the old saying is. We have to be disciplined, self-controlled, determined. He says, I discipline my body, verse 27, I bring it into subjection, lest when I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So we have to, again, think about what is at stake? What What are we running for? This is not a gold medal that we can hang around our neck that is going to be left behind when our time on this earth is is done. We're not running just for some kind of temporary praise of men. We're running for that imperishable crown. And that is worthy of our very best effort. There's a saying that I came across some time ago that I kind of held on to because I thought it was well said. And the saying is this, don't let the best or worst you've ever been become the standard for the rest of your life. Certainly we can understand why we wouldn't want the worst we've ever been to become the standard. We don't want to just mess up and say, well, I guess guess I'm just a, a... a person that, that can't do anything right, so I guess I might as well just continue to, to do the, the same things over and over again. But also, as you think about, don't let the best you've ever been become the standard of the rest of your life. 
I'm sure we can all think back to a time where we felt like we were maybe at our best, or we had a real good day, or we really accomplished something great. And sometimes we do something like that, and we think, well, that's that's probably the best I'll ever be, you know, and we just kind of think, well, from here it's all downhill, or something like that. Well, that's the wrong attitude, especially as we think about our spiritual uh, faith, and our determination, and our our growth, as we think about the the fruit of the Spirit, and these kinds of things. We need to be thinking about how good we've done, perhaps, but then say, well, now what can I do to improve on that? And that's something that's never going to stop. doesn't matter how old you become. doesn't matter how frail your body might be. Because you remember what Paul talked about there in 2 Corinthians 4 and also in chapter 5. He kind of continues the thought through those chapters, talking about how we're walking by faith, not by sight, even though this physical body is going to wear down, the spirit is going to be renewed day by day as long as we keep it focused on the right things. And so remember that saying because I think that it it brings to mind some very scriptural points such as we have noticed even together tonight. The final thing that I want us to think about just for a few moments in our lesson here, as we think about the need to focus on the proper things, I think Paul, again here in chapter 3, highlights the need to focus on others. And that's really one of the major things that is stressed to us in the Scripture in regards to fulfilling Christ's law, to being true children of God. It's not just about us. You know, We don't just get so caught up in ourselves that we just don't care about anybody else. It's Yes, I want to make sure that I'm focused, that I'm motivated, that I'm running the way I need to be running, but as I get those things in line, then I need to be looking at my brothers and my sisters and thinking, well, how can I likewise help them to run? How can I help them when perhaps a burden has been placed on their shoulders, some kind of weight is weighing them down and keeping them from running like they should? How can I assist them? Here in Philippians 3, once again, let's pick up in verse 15. He says, therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. What mind? Well, he's, the things that he's been expressing about the right focus. He says, let's all together be unified in this. And he says, if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. In other words, if you're thinking, well, maybe Paul's off his rocker here. If you continue to study, you're going to find, in other words, that, that Paul is indeed highlighting the truth. He says, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. He says, brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. And then he goes on and and talks about, sadly, some who have departed from the pattern that ultimately comes from Christ, like we talked about. He says, many walk of whom I've told you often, now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. And I believe that one of the reasons that Paul talks about these individuals here is so that we can remember that one of the main goals we have as God's people is to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth as Jesus talked about there in Matthew chapter 5, that we are, as Jesus came to do, to seek and save the lost, that should be our primary motivation as we think about our fellow man while we're here on 
this earth. And so when we see those who have abandoned the way, maybe perhaps those who've never gotten on the correct path, we need to think again, how can I help them? How can I draw them so that they can be focused on the right things? Because, you know, when you're not focused, uh, you, you really can't see where you're going. You can't see clearly what the end of your life is to be. You, you can't understand really anything of importance. We have to have the right focus. John 15 and verse 12, Jesus there, as he spoke to his disciples, he says, My commandment is this, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's really quite simple. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12 goes right along with that. Jesus, again, there speaking, tells us that whatever we would want men to do to us, we should do also to them. He says, this is the law and the prophets. This is what it's all about. This is kind of... uh, Filtering it all down to one basic concept. It's love each other. Treat others as you would like to be treated is the way we often render that verse. The golden rule, as it were. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering, uh, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill. The law of Christ. Romans 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, I talked about just a a moment ago how that if you're not focused, everything's kind of a blur. You can't really see where you're going. I don't know how many of you rely on these things here that I'm wearing pair of glasses. Now, obviously, I can see some of you have them on. But, you know, if I take these off, your faces become kind of like this picture we have up on the screen. It's just, what? Huh? I can see there's people there. And if if I'm here, I, I can make out who's who just because I know who you are. But I would have a hard time, as an example, driving down the road and not running into something or running through a red light or something like that. I, it's my distant vision is just not good. And so I need the proper lens to bring what is around me into focus so that I can see clearly and I can navigate successfully. And that's basically what we've been talking about tonight. When you have the right lens, it it sharpens the image. It brings it into focus and we can understand how to go forth in a way that is going to be successful. I think that if we had to summarize what that focus is, in just one verse, I think it'd be what we'd read there in Philippians 1, verse 21. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If that is likewise our mentality as we go from day to day, I think that the picture will be sharp and clear, and we'll be able to make our way to heaven and enjoy eternity with our Father, our Creator, our Savior and the Holy Spirit and all the saints who have gone on before us, who have likewise been faithful. And so, how is your focus then tonight? As we begin to conclude our lesson, you think about your own selves. There's somebody here perhaps who, as they think about their navigating of this life, they feel like everything's kind of a blur, kind of going back to that image we had up there on the screen, and you really couldn't make out much of anything. Now, we've talked about using the Word of God tonight, how to bring those things into a clearer picture, how to 
make it so that you can see where you're going. I think uh, of Psalm 119, verse 105, where the psalmist there is talking about the Word of God, and he talks about how it is a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path. It shows us where to go. And so if you need to obey the gospel tonight, if you need to repent and come back to God, if you need to ask for prayers, whatever it might be, whatever we can do to help you get focused so that you can leave here with a clear understanding of where you're going and what you need to be doing, we'd love to assist you with those things. And so if you have a need, we'd ask that you come to the front now as we stand and as we sing.